what I have the deepest confidence and faith in it is the natural world. Like if we can immerse ourselves out there, if we can be out there more, understanding more, being in relationship with the natural world, the solace that that might bring to an individual is immeasurable, but also what we can learn about our own human systems and structures and ways of organising. If we look through the lens of how things are organised out there, I really think that this has such a lot of value for us. And so that is where, for now, I will put my faith. Welcome to the Wild Minds podcast for people interested in health, nature-based therapy and learning. We explore cutting-edge approaches that help us improve our relationship with ourselves, others and the natural world. My name is Marina Robb. I'm an author, entrepreneur, forest school, outdoor learning and nature-based trainer and consultant and pioneer in developing green programs for the health service in the UK. listening to episode 11, Rewilding Education. My guest today is Dr. Max Hope, Director of Rewilding Education. Max is a facilitator, educator, researcher, activist and writer. In this episode, we have a lively discussion about what it means to rewild ourselves and be self-willed. We consider when do people stop being wild in the first place and what does it mean to rewild education? Hi, Max. Welcome to Wild Minds. I'm really excited to have you on the show. I'm actually smiling a lot. Oh, I'm, I'm excited to be here. I've been looking forward to this so much. Yeah, me too. Well, we always do this thing... Um, this gratitude thing before we start and I guess I've learned it over the years and it seems to help me anyway so if you wouldn't mind um I'll share a little bit of gratitude something that I'm thankful for it could be something small something more meaningful whatever really whatever feels right and then um then I'll pass it to you and then we'll we'll get into the conversation so for me I am grateful to where I live because last night I went out and um it was almost full moon and I just had that moment of feeling that calmness um, and the light. So I'm just grateful to be able to walk out and see that. So, yeah, that's my gratitude. How about you? Oh, it's funny you said the moon because I had the same thing. So I'm in <laughs> Devon right now, which is always a beautiful place for me to be, just on the edge of Dartmoor. And I also looked out last night and saw that moon and... <laughs> There's something about seeing a moon like that that just, yeah, brings mm. me something. So I'm yeah. also grateful for that. Mm, that's so nice. Because actually that I often think about that different people around the world. They're looking at the same moon. That's nice. Oh, mm. great. So we're going to talk a little bit about wild, wildness, rewilding. And, you know, before we get into this, why not have a little conversation about what it actually means to rewild ourselves or or what wild means? And I just 
throwing that to you, yeah, what does rewilding ourselves mean to you? You know, I'm so glad you've asked me that question because it's a phrase that gets used such a lot around, oh, I just want to rewild myself or during this course, we're going to rewild ourselves. And I, I really think it's important to understand what that might mean. And the first assumption is that that just means being out in nature. And of course, that's an important part of it. But for me, it's, it's so much bigger than that. So I've spent quite a lot of time over over the last few years trying to work out what for me is a really simple definition of what it means to be wild. And for me, I've got it down to sort of five key things, um, which are around being untamed, alive, whole, self-willed, and deeply connected to the living world. And those kinds of concepts are so important to me. So what does it mean to rewild ourselves? It's around, for me, how do we kind of settle back into what is our authenticity and our wholeness? Where do we find what is true for us? Where do we find the person that we really are at our core? And if we can find all of those things, and of course we find them so much more easily when we're out in nature, um, if we can find those things, for me, that's what it means to rewild ourselves. That's really useful to have like five things that you can kind of at least start with, you know, when thinking about that. And I, wow, I just think about self-will or self-willed. What does that mean? Because when I, when I, when I heard that one, the other ones I kind of connect to, yeah. But when I hear self-will or being self-willed, I, I kind of have this almost like a, a moody teenager thing, like, um, it means to do what I want. Is that what it means? I didn't know what the origin of the word wild was, but right. as somebody who likes to play with words, um, I learned that that the origin of the word wild is self-willed. And <clears throat> I think it was um, Henry David Theroux who, who's, who explained about wild horses, right? Now, he said that a wild horse is a self-willed, horse it's not tamed and that it does not submit its will to somebody else or to something else right so if I think of horses and I think about like out on the you know prairies or something those kind of massive herds of wild horses that are just kind of running in the way that they want to run and then stopping when they want to stop and then I think about the concept of of kind of um catching one of those horses and getting it ready to a point of which you can ride it, you know? And and the phrase for that, as I understand it, is about breaking in a horse, right? So you're like, you break in a horse by first of all approaching it and then working out how you can put a saddle on it or put get it to basically submit to your will that I want to ride the horse. And at the point at which you're able to ride the horse, you say that that horse is broken, right? Broken in or broken. Now, if for me, if you translate that to a human being, okay, imagining that you have a self-willed human being running those prairies like those horses, and at some point we submit to the will of another, often extremely early in childhood, you know, and at the point at which we submit to the will of another, we are being broken in or we are broken. Now, that is a powerful, powerful thought. 
about children, young people and adults somehow being broken. And for me, returning to being our wild selves or rewilding ourselves is not about being chaotic, feral, crazy, unmanageable. It's about returning to self. Mm. And that for me is is the crucial driver of what it might mean to rewild ourselves. That is a really helpful reframe for me because I think I was getting stuck on this idea that, like I said, that self-will is kind of we get to do what we want, a little bit spoiled, you know, that kind of feeling of being mm-hmm. spot and what. And I love that image of... Um, yeah, horse be, being who that horse is or, or me being who I am and being able to express that and to be able to express and explore different parts of who I am because, yeah, I, I don't know everything of who I am anyway, you know. Um, and and then, yeah, having, the, having enough freedom to do that, enough support to do that and not ending up yeah, feeling damaged or broken by either people or systems that I'm engaged with. So that's really, it's really helpful. And I guess um, I also wonder, though, in my own exploration of what it is to be wild is, can we ever be, we or can we ever be alone anyway? Like, so what I mean by that, that horse is running on the prairie but that horse has an impact on that land as it runs and it needs a certain terrain to run and it needs the air to breathe and all that kind of stuff and I and I and I and I guess I I'm always curious about this idea of being never just yourself but you're always somehow we're always connected to something else and need we need the other however that looks and that I love that word and I don't know who coined it that word of like being entangled that we're entangled with each other so whilst this notion of being self you know self-willed wild and returning to self as soon as I get to the self Max I kind of go ah but there isn't just the self yeah but isn't that's why we need to also recognize that we are part of something bigger because I'm totally with you. Like if you if you fall too far into the um, way of being that this is all about me, this is all about what I need, this is all about tuning into myself, listening to myself, and it all becomes very, very individual, that for me is out of balance because we do live in relationship with other people whether we live as part of a family, whether we're part of a community, we're part of a group, an organization, a team, but also we are part of a bigger ecosystem, you know? So you and I started off talking about the moon, you know? Now we could just think, oh, look at those flaky two talking about the moon. (laughs) But actually like, this is real. Like the moon affects me, but the world in which I live affects me. And you know, one of the things about going out into the wild or going out into the nature is we start to understand that more. You know, like I don't go and sit in a forest in order to take what I can from that experience. There needs to be some reciprocal thing going on. 
Like, what does the forest get from me being there? What do I get from the forest? You know, and, and with rewilding, the beautiful thing about the metaphor of rewilding is rewilding is an ecosystemic way of looking at the world. You know, we have wolves and we have deer and we have trees and we have beavers and plants and tiny microscopic little bacteria and we've got fungi and all of those things have to operate together as part of an ecosystem. Actually, um, one of them cannot be entirely self-willed and do its own thing because it, what it does impacts on the other and so yeah. with us. So then what about, because I, I want to come back to this idea and help me remember about this very, really important idea about being broken. But what about this idea that I hear so much about, oh, nature is competitive, you know, and and that idea that we've inherited um, from, I think, a misunderstanding of Darwin, actually, but this idea that we're all competing to survive and you know, it makes me think of that when you speak, that if we're looking for, you had a very good word, ecosystemic approach, we'll come back to that as well. But do you think we're all um, fighting each other for a space? Or how do you see, you know, the natural world really operating? Do you think there's yeah. something we need to really look at here? Yeah, I do, because I think that the human lens that we use to view the natural world means that we see certain things and we do, we do not see others, you know, and, and the Darwinian um, lens is a perfect example there that what we see is survival of the fittest, what we see is alpha male, what we see is it's all about this, it's all about that. And so much as of that has been totally disproven by looking through other lenses and so when we look at human beings, are human beings competitive? Yeah, human beings are competitive because we've made them so, because we've constructed society in a way that makes that inevitable through the way we've set up schools, we've set up our organisations through patriarchy, etc. Yes, human beings are competitive. Out there in nature, is everything competitive? Well, some things are, of course, but some things are massively collaborative. You know, in that very well-known example of how geese fly across the sky and when to get from one place to another, when they're going for hundreds of thousands of miles, they actually are extremely collaborative. They're not competing with one another for who's going to get, you know, the best position or whatever. They only manage it by collaborating. And I think, you know, we often don't use those kinds of examples to inspire us with our human structures we use those ones which are about survival of the fittest. Mm. And, you know, that is a, a huge problem. This is a call out to all you educators and health practitioners. Are you ready to revolutionise your career with outdoor learning? Don't let your practice become stale. You could be depriving your students or clients of life-changing outdoor experiences. Envision a world of possibilities masterclasses, 120 instructional videos, and year-long session plans, all accessible at theoutdoorteacher.com slash certificate. Enhance your career and embark on an extraordinary learning journey today. And lastly, if you're based in the UK, why not immerse yourself in nature with one of my transformative trainings in the beautiful landscapes of Sussex? 
Discover more about our in-person courses at circleofliferediscovery.com. So rewilding ourselves, could it also be really, I mean, for me, when I, when I think about that, I think about how do I do that in my life and how have I tried to do that? Because it's, it's always a journey, but I think it is trying to see things through different lenses or meet different people and try and listen, even though I know I can't see, I can only see a certain thing because of my history and the way, the way I've, where I am you know so I need help to see other things always um would you say that's an element of rewilding ourselves is to almost loosen up enough to be able to try and see things through different lenses yeah I think it is that and I think it's also you know fairly might sound fairly simple but even to recognize that the way in which we are perceiving the world is is through a lens so you know for me part of rewilding is to is to recognize that oh like maybe i don't have to do that in a certain way i see that other people do things in a different way you know so you know simple things about different types of social obligation of course i need to go to that birthday party of course i must buy a gift for this person of course i must work this hard in order to survive of course i must strive to have my own home or what have you like all of that is a set of assumptions based on a lens through which we have been made to look and there's something very powerful about realizing that there are actually other ways of looking like oh maybe I don't have to do that well in that case what would I do instead can I actually tune into myself can I get to that point of knowing what my own self will wants me to do can I find a way of sort of untaming myself to get to the point of recognizing what I would freely choose and in order to do that we have to step out from behind the lens that we're so often very very attached to to recognize that there are other ways of being wow (laughs) and that makes me go back to being broken I mean that's actually very it's very moving and quite emotional with that image of the horse I really appreciate you bringing that in right at the beginning because you know I've not seen it like that in that way that and knowing full well that there's yeah this is the domestication and also the, the the horse in a way concedes that in a way concedes that um and that's quite complicated in my mind when does somebody give permission so that's a human when does it when or if do we give permission as a human and what about an animal you know it's it's strange because it makes me think about uh, is it skinnerism the behaviorist model that makes us all automatic you know like say the horse is broken and we will break that horse and then the horse will do what we want and that's because it's an animal it doesn't have any emotions it doesn't have any self-will you know it's an object in a way that then you know gets um what's the word it's like that pavlov idea you know it it gets into a routine and then it just does it and it doesn't have any any ability to think for itself or feel for itself or anything like that and um 
Yeah, it's a strong thing because then what has happened to us or what is happening yeah. to me or you as adults, but also as children, what is happening then? When do we and why do we lose our sense of self, you know, and why does that matter? Mm. And I mean, listening to you talking about the horses there, Marina, like the way that you're presenting it about how humans may, you know, feel or respond to horses. Like, we know that's not true, yeah? We totally know that that is not true. Like, I saw the research the other day that, you know, it's been demonstrated now that bees are sentient beings. Bees are highly intelligent sentient beings. That's a bee. Like, we're talking about horses, what horses manage to do, equine therapy, etc. Like, these are highly intelligent beings. So it's, a, it's astonishing to me that as human beings, we have managed to get ourselves to the point of thinking we somehow own and control these animals and that they have no need to do anything else. In fact, they're probably grateful to it. They love being ridden. They enjoy it. They, you know, all of those kinds of things. And, um, but also it's worth remembering that most people who ride a horse these days, they don't ride a wild horse. They ride a horse that generation after generation after generation has been bred for this. Right. You know, okay. and again, if you, tr if you translate that to, to uh, humans, also children do not start out as wild children. With This is also generationally, what is it that has been passed down? You know, how do adults believe that children need to be treated is how they were treated and how their parents were treated and how their parents were treated. Like that, that is also, you know, transmitted culturally. And what I really see in, in my life and also, you know, more generally is that adults believe that children need to be treated in particular ways in order to be grow up as you know decent human beings and that there is a strong element of coercion and control in there you know children need to be taught certain things they need to behave in certain ways there's kind of cultural and social assumptions about what children should or shouldn't do you know everything from you know girls must do this boys must do this it's rude to talk to adults like this. It's rude to ask questions. You know, adults know best about what children should eat or what children should wear. And, you know, it, there's so much that starts from the very second that they're born, uh, which is starts that process of taking them away from themselves. And I guess part of me thinks, and I can almost hear some listeners let's say going but of course you know of course we should learn to sit at the table and you know not spill our food out of our mouth or say please and thank you you know absolutely you know why why shouldn't I um do what my adult the adults say you know um they know what's best you know because they're adults and they're or they're our elders um and, and, I, and, I, and I kind of feel quite, um, and then alongside that, I'm feeling kind of like, is it, did someone, I mean, is someone winning here? Like who gets to benefit 
from making the rules? Because this this is mm-hmm. a big question, isn't it? Who gets to benefit? Mm-hmm. And, and is it someone's... Because I often hear in these conversations, um, there's almost like a conspiracy thing that someone's doing it to us, you know. And I really want to... I'm also saying that respectfully because I also hear the generational stuff that you've just mentioned. But is someone doing it to us? Or have we even forgotten how this happened, you know? And why... <sighs> who is is there someone benefit benefiting am i naive i mean it, you know is there an agenda here <laughs> big questions <laughs> i know i know i know i'm sorry but it's making so me think many. About, i know but i've always been someone that has these questions 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 and then i go a little bit off track i appreciate it but what's going on here then you know yeah i mean there are so many questions there and i'm stuck with the image of like well, how does a child learn to eat in a particular way on yeah. you know, the food? Yeah. You know, like, like I just want to pick up on that to say, I am not saying that children need to raise themselves. I'm not okay. saying that adults ha- have no role. We just totally say children can learn everything they want to learn, do everything they want to do. They can do it entirely on their own. Like, no, they can't. This is about partnership. This is about c- relationship. This is about connection. Of course they can't, you know. Like adults need to support children with certain things. Yeah. That's how human beings learn. Other animals in the wild, actually, by the time the child, the, 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 the infant, whatever that is, the parent's gone. That is not the case with humans. So, you know, children are not expected to raise themselves. But also, there's a question for me around power. Well, and, you know, the rest of your questions really there were all around power. Yes. Who is it that holds the power? And yes. who is it that benefits from wielding it, right? Now, you know, children, I don't want children to have all the power, but I also don't want adults to have all the power. You know, like, how can a child have their power within themselves to make some decisions and to be self-willed And how can adults do that for themselves? And how can they manage this dance between the two of them to work out a way that actually works best for everybody without one having to wield power over another? I love that because how can we do this without breaking each other? Yeah, for sure. Isn't it? Isn't it? And and the other is how can we do this by enhancing each other? Yeah, for sure. That's a beautiful way of looking at it. And that this is mutual. This is mutual. You know, like I know myself that my life is massively enhanced by the children in it. Hmm. You know, I know that. I'm so grateful for that. Mm, I know that too. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And and I also hope that their lives are enhanced by having me in it. You know, (laughs) like... That will be a wonderful thing to, to know one day at the end of your life that, that that a child's life was enhanced by having you in it. Like, that's something to aspire for, isn't it? I totally but agree, the, yeah. You know, but the whole thing about, about control and power and domination and who's wielding the most power and who gets broken and, like, I don't, I don't want that to be where I'm at in my life. Mm. So this idea of rewilding ourselves I mean you know ourselves implies 
the personal at the moment. And we haven't got to the system yet. I think we're going there, you know. But would you say it has to start with ourselves? Yes. Yes, I would. Mm. I think that, you know, like conversations that I've had, for example, with facilitators or teachers who who have such a concern about how to help young people be rewilded, how to, how we can rewild others. And <laughs> it is, for me, a conversation which is starting in the wrong place because, for me, like, I do feel so strongly in terms of, like, do I have a theory of change about how we change the world? Yes, I do, and it's about starting with ourselves. You know, like, we do this work with ourselves, for ourselves, and from that, the ripples will flow. From that, we will therefore be in a much better position to help and support others in their processes. But we start with ourselves. Mm. I have a quote here from something that you've written, um, and I think it was a reflection, and it's thinking about young people. And it says, despite being labelled as failures by the school system, they could actually be creative, intelligent and highly motivated. They had simply been failed by a system that was not set up to meet their needs. And I, and I pulled this out because I feel really sad that so many people, I actually, I, in, in almost, I could almost say everyone in different ways, feels not good enough or failed and some people way 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 more than others who are not benefiting who don't feel well don't even feel good enough to live right um yeah what what's going I mean I took that from your writing because I know that just as you said you can you're You've been enhanced by young people and you've seen something and been around so many young people and, and adults over your life. And what 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 are you saying in that phrase? Shall I say it again? Do you want me to say it one more time? Or you got it? No, I got it. I I that that is particularly in relation to work that I did when I worked as a youth worker with young people aged 14 to 25 in a extremely socially economically deprived area of the country. And I was really shocked about how people had been written off, often extremely young, extremely young, sometimes in primary school or what have you, that they had been assigned the label that they were difficult, troublesome, had behavioural issues, what have you and that you know they somehow either got themselves through the school system or often didn't but the, but where they came out was a feeling like you know I'm failure I'm rubbish at learning I'm never going to be able to achieve anything and they had internalized that because it's something that they have been told either explicitly or they'd been told it through a series of actions which you know gave them the message that somehow they were not good enough and yeah what was always fascinating to me is that scratch beneath the surface like of course that is not the story of who those young people were they were 
often the most creative, resourceful, innovative, kind, generous, talented people that I had ever met. And I'm like, how do these two stories marry together? Because it's so damaging. It is, I cannot say how damaging it is to believe that about yourself because it has a cascade effect about what it is that will happen for you for the rest of your life, unless you can find a way of hearing different messages and believing different messages and actually uh, changing something about how, what, how you see yourself. Yeah. So I'm wondering what a rewilded adult would be more able to do respond to a young person who was being really annoying and irritating, you know, you know which happens, doesn't it? Of course, we yeah. feel it. Yeah. Is there something about having done that internal work, that reflection, and 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 let's let's add in that rewild self rewilding. Yeah. What would you? How would that look? Perhaps. I mean, I know there's so much you could say, but but just just give us a little glimpse of 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 how it might look yeah. differently. Yeah. I think that what I want to do with my hands, and of course nobody can see this, but what I want to do with my hands is is to show that there is a much broader lens. So how young people might often be viewed is through an extremely narrow lens of what is the expectation of what they should be like, how they should behave, etc. And that lens is created at school, but it is not just school. I don't want to just demonise school. This is also about families, societies more generally. It's about the mental health system. It's about media, TV, all sorts of things, you know, but there is this narrow lens which says this young person is doing really well and is thriving and aren't they great? And this young person is, you know, what a shame because they're really messing everything up with X, Y and Z. And I think if, if adults were in themselves more grounded, more uh, connected to their own core, more authentic, then they themselves will be able to broaden the lens because they would recognise that there are other ways of seeing the world. And, you know, like just a small example will be, okay, so this, this kid who can't seem to sit still on their chair, instead of thinking, well, what is wrong with them? They can't sit still on their chair. You know, we need to do something about that. Let's keep sending them out every time they swing on their chair. You know, like instead of looking through such a narrow lens, we think, wow, that kid's got energy. <laughs> what, a, what a gift. God, <laughs> imagine, what, imagine what they could do if that was channeled well, or if they could be helped to recognize that that amount of energy is unusual and could bring them to all sorts of places that other people can't go. <laughs> wow. How could we really support that young person? Did you see what I mean? It's a I tiny totally example, it. but it's 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 just a different lens. Um, and if we, of course, then look at the system as a whole, we would also be asking, why are they expected to sit on a chair in the first place? Why are there so many kids in this room? Why is there only one adult and there's 30 kids? Why are they only here for 50 minutes doing this subject that lots of them don't want to do anyway? Then we have to question everything, of course. Which is what you're, that. yeah. Yeah, which, yeah. Is, and which is, you know, 
really trying to get to the root of the problem because the root of the problem, I tell you this, Marina, and you know this too, the root <laughs> of the problem is not with that child. No, it is not. I want to, <laughs> I kind of want to just really just sit with that. No, it is not. And I'm, I know that you're passionate about changing the education system. And, but before we do that, I just want to just talk for a moment about what it is to be well, what it is to be whole. And I'm really, 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 really struck by this, this, not struck by, just want, want to name that to be well, we, there's a personal thing like, yeah, self-reflection, what can we do? But there's an absolute structural thing going on as well. Like if we don't have enough food or we're really anxious about our dad um, losing his job or, or, or we've been broken in however many of the millions of ways that we can be broken, it could just be, you know, your mum not being to give you a hug when you really needed it, whatever. It, it, those are small breakings, right? But, I, you know, I, yeah, I just, we, so there's a, there's a structural wellness and then there's a personal wellness and we can't be responsible for the structure, you know, alone, no way. And I often think that children and people are, demonized or or it's not understood that it isn't a personal thing it's a structural issue so with that in mind I'd love you to tell me a bit about what what if you what are you doing I mean you know I know that you're involved in rewilding education and you feel extremely passionate about that but so give us a sense of what are some key problems with the system and then I'd love to just hear some other ways that you could imagine it working you know as well some shifts that could happen you know my thing is is education for many different reasons it just so happens that that is the place that I've ended up putting most of my energy um but I see parallels with what's happening in education with what's happening with health criminal justice etc etc these things are not different um and they're all part of a for me a systemic problem that we have around how we have constructed society in a way that is trying to um dominate and control and it's trying to produce particular types of outcomes so we want people which and it's about coming back to the horses we're trying to break people we are deliberately trying to break people we are trying to get them to fit into a particular box. And if they don't fit into that box, that is a problem. And we need to find a way to control that. You know, in its essence, that is what all of those systems are trying to do. Um, now, I don't want to just do away with all systems. Let's just live somewhere where there are no systems. That doesn't work either. Like, I quite like a system, Marina, I'll tell you the truth. Mm. I quite like some all quite like some control, quite like some sense of, um, you know, there being a purpose to things. So I don't have a problem with the fact that we try to organise, but what I have a problem with is that what that does is the unequal power distribution whereby all of those systems are set up to try to control others. 
And that for me is the is the fundamental problem. Um, and for me, like my work around education, I've been seeking for a long time to try to find alternatives to the way that we do mainstream education. You know, is that around democratic education? Is it about freedom-based education? Is it around making things much smaller so they can be much more relationship-based, much more community-based? Is it about, you know, using different types of, you know, uh, pedagogy or curriculum? Like, how can we make education better? And that's that has been my passion for a long time. But what I recognise in all of those things is a way to, ch they're trying to change a power dynamic. They're trying to, it's all about trying to find a way that, to get these, uh, the education system to work well for young people. And for me, the only way to get it to work well is to get young people in the middle of it. Like, so this is not a system that does to them, but it's a system that is for them and with them, that they're involved in co-creating and designing, that they can really be self-wielding. And then, you know, over the last few years, what I've turn much more to the natural world, the wild world, that's given me such a massive transformation in my own life to be able to really engage as part of that bigger ecosystem that I also have wanted to kind of bring that to um, education as a whole um, and also to use some of those metaphors. What does it mean to rewild education? What would it mean if everything worked as a in an ecosystemic way? What would it mean if things were able to kind of be self-willed and grow freely like you can in a rewilded piece of land? Like I find them very, very interesting, useful analogies to use. Where do we go from here? I mean, here we have a system. For me, there's, you know, the main system, which the majority of people are involved in, you know, one way or another, whether that's early years, primary, secondary, not even going with, health systems and economics and political systems but how, what if i you know if i gave you the bit of a bit of more power or you were able to um change something one or two things max in the next year even though it may take a few years to to embed what what would you what would you be doing because i guess i I always have a question. I know people that go through alternative routes, like don't go into mainstream school, but it does often feel very exclusive. You know, it's only available to certain individuals. And I really, and I know you will, think access is so important that, that all children get this. Um, so so what, what are some of the immediate things? Maybe a couple of things now and then, yeah, if you could 10 years down the line or whatever, how do we change things? Because we can talk, mm. but we are people that want action too, you know, and I, and it could be coming from the teacher's place, not just the children, you know, what, what give me some examples of the now and then 10 years, if, if you could change things, which I know you're doing anyway, but mm. you know, for, for, for our listeners, mm. You know, I feel like the question is sort of uh, in a tantalizing way, trying to lure me into a trap, right? Oh, and damn. the reason I think, yeah, <laughs> the reason I think that is because what you're saying is if you had the power, Max, how would you change the system as a whole? And that is an extremely tempting thing to want. Like, if I had the power to change the system as a whole, this is what I would do. But of course, what I believe is that 
we have to change the system from the inside. And that means we have to start with the people who are in the system, working in the system. And for me, where I've chosen to put my energy right now is instead of trying to change the system as a whole, is I really want to work with the people, the educators, the teachers, who kind of get some of this stuff. They understand that there is a problem. They don't necessarily know what to do about it, but they understand there's a problem. So I would say, give me those people. Mm. Let me take them out into the wild with you, Marina. <laughs> or, or let's get them on a camp, or let's get them on some Zoom calls, or let's get them visiting places like the cabin and the lodge where I work, which is self-directed consent-based settings, to see how some of those practices can actually be used in mainstream, because I believe that they can. But we have to start with those people who get that there's a problem. They are the people who are able to make changes in a classroom by classroom basis, one teacher at a time, one educator at a time, because I'm actually beyond the point of thinking that changing the system as a whole is the way to go. I think that's where this problem started, actually. And I, and I think we need to turn it on its head and start smaller, which is start with the people. I've got tingles, which is always a good thing. <laughs> and, I'm, and I went on your website, which is, um, it is www.rewildingeducation.org. And there was on point five, five core values about edu how education should be run. It said, teaching has been devalued and mistrusted and teachers are unable to make decisions about how and what to teach. Students need to have power to make their own decisions, but teachers need freedom too. I'm actually not sure if that's on the Rewilding Education website or on my own website. It could be on either or both. Oh, what is your own, own website? Maxhope.co.uk. Maxhope.co.uk. So sorry if I got that wrong, but it makes me think that if you're going to go one by one with teachers, absolutely, yes, let them come and have a space to really explore this and to learn different ways and to listen to each other and to work together 100%. And there's something about this rewilding, isn't there? Like rewilding themselves and valuing themselves. And yeah being trusted and yeah. trusting themselves that seems really really important here yeah and you know the reason that i that i say that on the website is because one thing that i'm very cautious about is is when i am critical of the mainstream education system which is fairly frequent is that teachers as individuals feel attacked that is a that is a problem for me because i know that there are so many fantastic, committed, talented teachers who have chosen to work in the system because that's where they think they can do some good and they can make the greatest impact. And I have so much respect for those people. So for me, in sort of criticising the system, I don't want it to be that I think all teachers are rubbish because I do not. I also recognise that teachers are really constrained. You know, like I've talked about how, you know, uh, 
like the wild horses, how like as children we are broken or our human spirit is broken when we submit to the will of another. Teachers are under the cosh. You know, they have so little influence and control over what it is that they're expected to do. I mean, you know this, Marina. We've got, you know, Ofsted, we've got very standard curriculum. We've got not just that they have to teach certain things, they have to teach them in particular ways. You know, like it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse and harder and harder for teachers. And I really see that. And there's still some of them managing to do fantastic things. They find a tiny little bit of leeway in their classroom where they do manage to be really empathic and supportive and generous and really like just brilliant with their particular students um but yeah i want to recognize that they're that they're under the cosh which is why they need freedom too they need to be trusted too and in recent years in recent governments you know like some of what the you know governments have said about teachers is so untrusting you know which is why we have you know, departmental officials thinking that they should tell teachers what it is that they should do because somehow they know better than teachers. I mean, it's it's a crazy mess. It's a crazy mess. And yet I I have hope. Do you think it's crazy to have hope? Max hope. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Marina, I don't know what else we've got. Like, I am genuinely extremely optimistic and it's not because I can't see the problems but it's because I I can see that we are not far away from being able to make some quite radical transformation I can see that change is coming it's it's increasingly feels like pushing at an open door because it, in listening to this podcast there will be some people listening who are shouting like yeah, whatever. You totally crazy. You don't even know what it's like. You don't even work in a school. What are you talking about? There are some people who are entrenched, and so be it. But there will also be people listening who go, hmm, there's a point there. You've got a point. We do have a problem. I wonder, what could the solution be? I'm up for exploring. I'm up for finding out. And there are more and more people like that. And for that reason, yes, we've got to have hope. We have to have hope. We have to be able to believe that things can be different and that things in small ways are already changing. And from those small things, big changes can come. Oh, there's nothing more to say at this point. I just want to thank you so much for your time. I know if people want to find out more, they can go to the website and look you up. I know you want to have conversations and and actually, let's let's do this together. I, I just don't think anymore this, that we need to be on our own doing it. I think there is a wave. I, I feel it, you know, from the years and years and years of being in this field. Um, there's a willingness to change. There's a, there's a hope for change. And I think there's a, like, I, I love what you said about, well, I didn't love what you said, but the generations that we've, we've inherited so much and... Um, so there's a sense of being kind with ourselves around that, but but at the same time, um, it's time, isn't it, Max? It's time. It's time. And if I can just finish on one thing, which says that what I have the deepest confidence and faith in, it is the natural world. Like, 
if we can immerse ourselves out there, if we can be out there more, understanding more, being in relationship with the natural world, the solace that that might bring to an individual is immeasurable, but also what we can learn about our own human systems and structures and ways of organising. If we look through the lens of how things are organised out there, I really think that this has such a lot of value for us. And so that is where, for now, I will put my faith. Thanks again for speaking to me, Max. Join me next week for episode 12, when I look into some key areas of rewilding education and wild pedagogy. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wild Minds podcast. If you enjoyed it and want to help support this podcast, please subscribe, share and leave a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Your review will help others find the show. To stay updated with the Wild Minds podcast and get all the behind the scenes content, you can visit theoutdoorteacher.com or follow me on Facebook at The Outdoor Teacher UK and LinkedIn, Marina Robb. The music was written and performed by Jeff Robb. See you next week, same time, same place. curious about the guitar music in my podcast it's actually my husband Jeff Robb he's taking his woodland inspired show the music of trees on tour in England and Wales this May June and July get tickets at jeffrobb.com slash shows mm-hmm.